Hi there, and welcome to Product Storyteller. My name is Stuart Noyce, and this is my personal podcast, where I dive into stories of and about product innovation, the crucially important process that satisfies unmet need with unique value. From the origins of the internet to the future of crypto platforms, from Haas MBA classmates to Burning Man makers, I cover the ground where entrepreneurs and business leaders create new value with a wisdom that ensures our shared future. Product Storyteller explores the durable edge of free market capitalism, where people practice restraint and live in community with one another. If you love it, give it a great review and subscribe on iTunes or elsewhere to catch every interview that's coming. In the first half of my interview with Don Peppers, we heard the story of how he met Martha Rogers at a talk in Ohio and agreed to write a book on a handshake. Eventually, Don and Martha would come to write 13 books, give thousands of talks, and spawn a consulting firm with over 1,000 alumni. But the book that everyone remembers is their first, One-to-One Future, because it makes 10 predictions that change direct interactive marketing forever. Landing just months before the first web browser was introduced, they had the guidebook that would lead an entire generation to create the future around their principles. Every major point gets built out except for one, Our privacy was invaded. That's what we are going to talk about in the second half of my very special interview with Don Peppers. It still sits wrong with him. There are reasons that he and Martha made the prediction they did in 1993. In the next 40 minutes, you will hear what they thought was going to happen, the the reasoning behind that, and what the future can and should be now. If the best way to predict the future is to create it, let's hear what Don would have us build today. Okay, uh, I'm here with Don Peppers, and we are back from lunch. Thank you, Stuart, and very nice lunch it was indeed. So uh, we're going to keep on this conversation, only now we're turning towards the chapter in your book, One to One Future, about privacy. Right. You you said this was one of those, the the one thing that's kind of still gnawing at you because it it didn't come true in the same way that some of the other things did. And and I will say that if, if we are in a place where, you know, creating the future is the way to predict it, Right. Clearly, we didn't create the future that many of us thought was appropriate, was maybe something that had more privacy in it. So I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that, before we get into that, maybe some of the things that did come true in the book, and so we get an understanding of maybe why they were so compelling and, okay. and where they, you know, where, what drove sure. some of those sure. forward. Okay, well, um, um, because the book, the book proceeded from the standpoint that Interactivity and data and information would change the dimension of marketing. Um, uh, think of it this way. There are two things that you have to do to be able to compete as a business. You have to be able to satisfy some need, and you have to have a customer who wants to have that need met, right? If you can satisfy a customer's need, then you have a business. Well, in the age of mass marketing, before you could talk to individual customers, before you could record cost-efficiently what an individual customer had done, what his transaction history was, and so forth, your business was limited to trying to make a good product and find as many customers as you can for that product. But once technology made it possible, I could focus on a single customer and try to satisfy as many of that customer's needs as possible, sell that customer as many products as possible, not just across all my different brands and divisions, but through time, not just this month, but next month, the quarter after that, and not just him, but his family members, his colleagues at work, whatever. Uh, and instead of measuring my success in terms of market share, I measure my success in terms of share of customer. 
instead of the scope of my manufacturing operations driving my cost down, uh, the scale of my manufacturing operations driving my cost down, it's the scope of my relationship with the customer. The more I knew about a particular customer in an age of interactivity, the easier it would be to sell to that customer. So I'd have um, um, increasing economies of scope. The more I sell to a customer, the easier it gets to sell to that customer. That's kind of different from economies of scale, where the more I produce, the cheaper it is to produce. It's a different kind of dynamic. Okay, so the, many of the books and uh, elements of this book came true, like e-commerce, social media, the gig economy, things yeah. you were looking at that, yeah. that were related to this. Um, do you feel like you get credit for recognizing these trends today, or does, is it just like now everybody breathes this, the same sort of oxygen? No, actually, actually we get credit all the time. Um, um, I, I, I look at my mentions online and, and, uh, and Martha's on my mentions, and we're still mentioned quite frequently. Um, um, but I think it, people take for granted uh, the fact that this is the way the world is now. Okay, so you can, you can be right. So great, what have you done lately, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that actually brings us to the, this point about privacy, because yeah. we, we talked about this, we talked about it over lunch, and the understanding is that, you know, there was a, you wrote a chapter, and you definitely wrote this chapter without technology in mind, right? So what were you thinking at the time was relevant to privacy that was sort of a higher sure. level yeah. idea? Yeah. Well, even in the 1990s when we brought our book, uh, there were direct mail houses out there, uh, uh, there were toll-free number, there, there was, uh, um, um, you know, uh, 800 uh, uh, numbers all, all around. There were, there were direct marketers uh, who dealt in large files of customer information, data files. Um, and we knew that technology would, would enhance their ability to target individual customers more and more finely, more acutely, and that there would be some, probably some resistance to that. Um, and we estimated that many customers, many customers would uh, flinch at the idea that a company might know in advance what they actually wanted, uh, or might uh, give them something that was related to an ad they just saw let's say, uh, uh, like they're watching over their shoulder. We felt that, that and some customers would consider that to be spooky. We also thought different customers would have different attitudes toward it, and that we're right about. Uh, some customers are very uh, afraid about their privacy, and some customers could, would sell their grandmother's social security number for a $5 coupon. Uh, and, and, um, and in fact, what, what has happened is the the HTML revolution that created the World Wide Web, um, uh, that was a firestorm of innovation in the 1990s when the World Wide Web came into being and every company went online and every company is now interactive. And it's just suddenly, within a half a generation, everything, every, everything changed radically. Uh, and uh, what happened was uh, because of the way it developed so quickly, um, the free model, the model that was paid for by advertising um, created a lightning storm of, of um, expansion, uh, and it became the dominant model. Uh, and, and there are, in fact, economies of scale in that kind of a business. Uh, there's a winner-take-all nature to it, 
which is why there's one big search engine, there's one big social media company, there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know what I mean? That That's the idea. Absolutely. The yeah. network effects drive that. Exactly. Exactly. Network effects drive it. Uh, and, um, and these companies know that and they, they, they went fast. They go they fast, fast for they a go reason. fast and they <laughs> want to buy out their competitors to make sure that they dominate that market. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> so what happened was that uh, people's inhibitions about uh, not protecting their privacy sort of dissipated. I mean, let's see, do I want to pay $12 a month for this subscription service or do I take it free for advertising, with advertising? Oh, I'll take it free, right? Um, uh, it was never really a question. Uh, there was never any economic value put on privacy, not until pretty much recently. Uh, now people are a little more concerned about privacy, but it's in the context of, I'm not just concerned about my individual privacy, I'm concerned about the fact that there seems to be a monopoly of power uh, at the top of the tech bubble. Uh, the tech giants are, are permanent monopolists, uh, if I'm not careful, and I'm not sure how much, it's like a big brother, but it's not owned by the government, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So one of the things that we, we can take away from here is, Privacy wasn't super important for everyone. Right. It was also wasn't super important for very many people. It was not super important for very few people, really. Yeah. It was yeah. one of very those, few people. And, and it was one, it was of, one of those nice to have. If you feel a little like it's a little creepy yeah. to have somebody putting an ad in after you just spoke into your wristwatch. Let's see, what if we give you a quarter? How's that? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really kind of an, it's yeah. like this interesting thing where at the beginning it wasn't really an issue. Mm -hmm. But now that maybe it's more and more a part of our life, it starts to be, wait a minute, what just happened? So there's an I aspect agree. of that, mm -hmm. and there was certainly an aspect of free, and there was certainly an aspect of let's drive uh, network effects as fast as possible, it's, and let's hide, yes. let's hide the, um, uh, the terms of our you know, contract and our relationship. Right, let's, bury, is, let's bury the, bury the consumer in right text. Now. You want this right now. Bingo. But you're going to click on this button and it you says, could read, I accept. You it's could it's read a 20 this. page agreement. You can either accept or not. What do you want? Yeah. I'm not going to read yeah. 20 yeah. pages. Exactly. And that's what pe that's the contract that we accepted. I so agree. we're, yeah. it's, it's, our, it's our fault. It's, we Stuart, did it it's, all, right? Stuart, it's also sort of like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, at the very base of it is the need for shelter and protection and food and then uh, companionship. And, and, and then at the top is fulfillment. Well, privacy is at the very top, um, uh, and it's, on the, it's very high on the hierarchy of needs. It's not, first I have the need for access, I have the need for information, I have the need for connection with others, I have, and it's only after I get all that that I begin thinking about my personal privacy, then suddenly it becomes in, a part of my frame of reference. Right, so it's, it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs drives mm -hmm. us to a place where just a very, very, very few people can really, at the beginning of it, say, you know what, I have my needs met, and therefore, I'm going to... Now I to, want to figure out how to fix, fix my privacy Yeah, problem. I want to have my yeah. privacy to myself. Yeah, and I think more and more people are getting to that point now, you know. Uh, and you see it sort of in the, um, you know, the, the urge to disconnect, the, 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 the backlash against Facebook, Facebook disconnect. Uh. So I think what's interesting now is why do marketers care? You know, so we're out there selling to our customers do we think it's important? If they don't think privacy is important, do we care? 
that privacy I don't think marketers care um, uh, in the short term. I think, um, uh, I think the problem that marketers have with the privacy issue is the same problem they have with customer experience improvement issue efforts. It costs money today to improve the customer experience. So how do I know I'm going to actually make money on the customer just by delivering a better customer experience? The, the money I get is in the future. In the same way with protecting privacy. I have to give up something today to protect the customer's privacy. What am I going to get in the future? Well, how about the customer's goodwill? How about the customer's uh, affection? How about the customer's loyalty? Um, uh, but those things are future payers. And right now, I, I have to, if I have to pay money to protect privacy, if I have to give up something uh, financial to pay money, from an accounting standpoint, I'm paying money today to get value tomorrow, and I'm not even calculating that value under today's accounting standards. Let me give you an example. Uh, okay. If you had a warehouse full of you know, your goods, worth a million dollars worth of goods, and if it burned down tomorrow, you'd have to report that loss on your financial statement this quarter. It, a million dollar loss. It'd go on your, and your shareholders would know. But if you have a privacy invasion and somebody steals a million customer IDs, guess what? There's no liability there. Those customers are not capitalized assets. Okay? There's no, fundamentally, there's no financial loss. Now, you may have to take an allowance for some future legal liability on your financial statement, but the value of those customers' um, uh, lifetime values to you that declined is not part of the financial equation. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, uh, and, what and I... It's even worse because mm -hmm. those individuals can't, unless they go through a class action, yeah. which is an elaborate... Which is a, an elaborate way to pay lawyers. Right, because right. you barely get anything in return right. at the end. The lawyers get a lot, the, the, the lawyers do mm -hmm. very well. Uh, but as, but in the company itself, if it takes a hit, it's going to be on the brand. Yes. Do you feel like the companies are, we, it's again the short term versus the long term. Mm -hmm. Are there companies that say our brand is more important than some short term return? Um, I think the effect on the brand is uh, uh, probably momentary. Uh, I think that the effect on customer lifetime values is more permanent. Um, I, th I the problem I have with this is a whole different issue than than privacy, Stuart. This is a whole different Fine. issue. But the problem I have with companies that don't put their customers' interests first, they think they're putting their financial interests first, is they're working on the wrong time frame, the right time frame. If you actually looked at customers' lifetime values and their long-term potential to buy and to to tell others about your business you'd realize that as a, as a proposition, it's going to almost always be the right thing to do to act in the customer's interest. Because when you act in the customer's interest, in the long term, it's in your interest. It may cost you money in the short term, this quarter, maybe next quarter. But in the long term, that's in your interest. Um, yeah, so I, was, I, I wanted to go down this path because even though it wasn't related to privacy, yeah, yeah. I have an intuition that this is related to a potential solution to the problem. Yes. I mean, essentially, the solution to the problem of privacy from a consumer's perspective <clears throat> is that brands feel the need to better satisfy their customers for the long term and hold on to them. Yep. And that might have been something that was lost in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years with the whole the, the explosion of the internet. 
Although I'm not completely sure because I think good brands have continued to, to develop the trust and to expand on the trust that they've created in the past. Um, but I will point out that from, from my perspective, I think some of the things that were in your book that did come true mm-hmm. also may be slowly eroding that, that brand reputation you know, when it comes to, I'm going to spam you. I'm yeah. going to send you something every single day. I'm going to send you two or three emails a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? I'm going to sort of use my position to just sort of nudge ahead of something and, and get in, in yeah. front of you and convince you to do something that isn't necessarily in your best long-term interest, but it's in our best short-term interest to sell you this product. Let me, let me give you an interesting analogy. Okay, let's, let's compare AOL uh, and Apple Computer. Both like computer companies, internet age companies. Uh, at one point, AOL was the um, uh, third largest company in the world. They bought Time Warner in 2000 and they, they became like the third largest company by capitalization in the entire world. And Apple today is like the largest or one of the largest in the world. Um, <clears throat> but AOL built its business on tricking customers uh, into paying more than they needed to pay. Uh, into um, not being able to quit the service when they wanted to quit the service. I talked to a a marketing analyst who went, her first job was at AOL. And what she told me was that, uh, of course, AOL's key variable was customer churn. They wanted to reduce customer churn. And they found three ways to reduce churn. The first way, hide the number that they could call, that people could call in. Don't allow them to call in, okay? Second number, require them to call in to quit the subscription, okay? Third policy, Whenever somebody mentions quitting a subscription on a phone call, accidentally disconnect the call. Those are the three, and they and they and they they had they had concrete proof that those ways really improved customer loyalty, right? <laughs> but of course, they didn't, right? Uh, and and AOL is now, a, you know, um, all contrast, they did was increase customer irritation. Exactly. Contrast that with Apple Computer, which has always been maniacally focused on the user experience. In fact, in 2006 or 7, uh, Apple Computer came out with the PowerPC Mac with an Intel chip. Uh, and uh, their sales were a little lower than expected, and the analysts were uh, downgrading the stock. And one analyst actually upgraded the stock because they called... Here's, here's what they said. They called, one of their analysts called Apple to order uh, a new PowerPC Mac, and the, the person who answered the phone said, yes, sir, we have, we have the, new, the new chip in it, but you know, if you wait one quarter, it'll have the actual Intel inside kind of chip, uh, and it'll be better for you. And their question is, what kind of company would turn down a perfectly good $1,000 sale in order to better satisfy the customer? A company that's going to be around for a long time. Apple... Uh, always acts in the customer's interest. Yeah, and, so if you think about it, it's a company that knows it's going right. to sell you multiple computers. Yes. Right? It knows, it, and maybe they, they, What do you think, what year was this? In? It was in a uh, 2000, uh, uh, 2000 decade, uh, 2006 or seven, something like that, when the power PC Mac came out. Yeah, that was about the time, though, they were beginning to introduce the iPhone. And so and they, probably so. Yeah. So they, yeah. they were... And they'd they, already done the music industry. They'd already revolutionized right. mu- music industry. Uh, they didn't have the iPad out yet, but uh, yeah. So and, having worked and, in and the... every every time they come out with a new device, Apple followers they they swarm it. When AOL went out of business, getting sold to Verizon, nobody breathed uh, an extra sigh. Uh, right. Only the senior executives. But if Apple went out of business, you'd have 
rioting in every major city, you know, seriously. So we knew in the mid-90s that yeah. individuals would buy multiple products because mm -hmm. the, uh, we were working with large uh, Asian manufacturers of consumer devices. This is a company that works at what's called GeoWorks. Okay. And the, uh, these companies knew that they would be able to sell multiple products to every, to every customer. So every customer experience had to be, in its own discreet way, an excellent experience, good enough to be above and beyond to justify the, the next one of right. the brand, yeah. right? So that people would come and buy the next one, yeah. right? Exactly. So they, as they, as as Apple learned, mm -hmm. and then, you know, with the first thing uh, they did, the Newton, mm -hmm. it was not so good, mm -hmm. and they kind of kept at it. Um, mm -hmm. But they did smaller products that were from the side, you know, doing the little sure. things like the iPod or whatever. Yeah, they all they had several they failures. Knew, yeah. They yeah. knew they mm -hmm. were going to introduce multiple products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it made complete sense for mm -hmm. them to be absolutely satisfying the customer during that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They also did something really amazing, which was they introduced Mac and Mac OS based on the next um, Unix uh, box that came out of Steve oh, Jobs' wow. next. Wow. Which is why mm -hmm. the Apple MacBook and the Macs mm -hmm. have the best user interface mm -hmm. of any computer. Mm -hmm. It's because of that sort of, yeah. what you said, this maniacal focus on satisfying the customer. Um, with the absence of Steve Jobs, they have some work to do to stay and keep up with that, don't they? I think that the Jobs culture is still there. Uh, I think it's, uh, I, I, I've been quite happy with what I've seen at Apple um, in terms of it's still, it's very focused on the customer. And they're also on the front line of the privacy uh, uh, issue uh, on the high, on the side of consumers, uh, they're the only company that refuses the FBI uh, permission to get a backdoor into the phone, for instance, uh, no matter what the case is. And some people don't like that, but I think that on on the whole, we ought to like it. Um, uh, I, Certainly, I they are yeah. more likely to defend mm -hmm. the privacy of the user. They I will, think that they'll, they'll go to the mat for it. They've yeah. shown that, and and it's. Uh, um, very different from Facebook uh, or Google even, uh, or even Amazon, uh, and, which is also very customer friendly, Amazon is. Um, uh, but they're a little more mercenary with customer information than Apple is. Okay, so we've, we've gone around the issue a yeah. little bit. Um, we know that individuals are likely to give up their privacy to get yes, right. access to something. Yeah. We know that companies are likely to uh, encourage that because they want to grow quickly. Um, we are starting to see evidence that surveillance can have negative surveillance. Impact. Capitalism surveillance is, is capitalism an evil. Is an evil. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely on top of yeah, this. It's a, it's, don't even say don't be evil. Surveillance capitalism is evil. Okay. Yeah. It, that's, okay. that's Google says don't be evil. Well, guess what? <laughs> well, they they took it. Yeah. They took it down actually. Yeah. Good, because they went to this other model. But um, <laughs> how does it get fixed? How do you think it gets fixed? I mean, we, uh, we, we made a prediction before. I think there are several ways okay. we could fix the privacy problem we have today. Uh, one way, we could do what Martha and I uh, described in our very first book. Um, uh, we could create, there could be uh, a business created called, uh, which you would think of as a privacy intermediary. Think of a, uh, a privacy buffer that sits on your phone and on your PC uh, intercepts all your keystrokes um, and um, puts them into the um, uh, into the web sphere um, without your ID, uh, without your uh, without any tra traceability. That is, it's uh, it's like a 
like a uh, sort of like a VPN, but not quite. Um, uh, so that and and the deal is, um, you probably uh, uh, want some companies to know a little bit about what you're doing, but you don't want to know to be able to market to you directly. So this host system, this intermediary, will reveal everything about your needs and preferences and, and wants and your brand ideas and so forth, but not your identity. So the only way anyone can get a message back to you is through the host system itself. Uh, and then I, I could take, you know, and um, I could sell my information. In, through the host I could literally system. sell the information through the host system uh, and I could say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take, um, you know, uh, 20 ads a week um, in all these categories, uh, but that's it, you know, uh, no more pop-ups, no more stuff, uh, and uh, the host disciplines that. That's, that's the privacy intermediary. Now, the reason Martha and I thought that would be the system that would protect people's privacy is because, as I said before, we modeled the one-to-one -one future off the HomeFax business model that Chip Elitzer and I had created uh, at one point. We, we, and the HomeFax would, would have been one of those host systems. And in HomeFax's case, the asset that HomeFax had was, as, as, uh, was, uh, um, um, was access to its customers for the marketers. They would sell access right, to those right. customers with customers' permission. You know, and give customers a piece of the action, sort of. So that that'd be one way. That'd be kind of a. There are some decentralized approaches mm -hmm. that are similar to this way, where there people value mm -hmm. their attention, mm -hmm. and so they're selling their attention. And in this way, this is more of a centralized way of selling attention. So it's yeah. kind of a, it's. I don't know that you necessarily have to go to a decentralized approach to this if you trust your central your centralized version. But there'll be several the, different. Host, there, there, right? yeah, the, the, there's, there needs to be two or three hosts so they right. compete so with each other. So you can other. compete. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can. And they one need you to trust. be. And they need to be not closed systems. In other words, each host needs to be able to have access to the whole net. Um, okay. Um, yes. Okay. So. So anyway, let me give you a, a second way. Yeah. Um, when Tim Berners-Lee first came up with the whole idea of hypertext, you know, right. where you could, uh, and hypertext is just. In literacy, in, in, in literature, it's like a footnote, okay? A reference that goes someplace else that you go exactly. look up, okay? So on a computer, it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a footnote that takes you to a different computer. His idea was that hypertext um, uh, would be permitted by the computer that's linked to. I would link to you, uh, and you would give me permission, and you'd get information back from me, okay? But when HTML was created, um, um, by, I want to say INSEAD, but in, in uh, Switzerland, um, uh, um, it, it was, uh, it didn't require permission from the linked to computer. I can link to your computer and you can't tell me not to. Of course, okay. many protocols then were designed for, in the same way that we had uh, issues with privacy today, mm -hmm. the protocols were designed then to grow quickly. Yeah. And, and it did grow quickly. Very lightweight. It did grow quickly because there was no extra memory required, no extra exactly. processing. You didn't have to have two-way uh, communication like that. You could easily have just one-way error correction. So it was very, very efficient. And HTML, the way it was written, made the um, lightning-fast expansion of the World Wide Web available, uh, possible, okay? Because had it, had it required two-way permission, the progress, the the expansion of the World Wide Web would have been much slower, but it totally emulated 
uh, uh, emulated the, the publishing industry because yeah. now suddenly um, uh, when, the, uh, uh, when a newspaper puts its, web, puts its news article on the website, it's, it can no longer sell a subscription uh, to its newspaper the, for the same price. You know, it's a, exactly. It's so they have to go to subscriptions and then they right. put a paywall up and then people go, well, I'm not going to pay that. And so, what, so what pays for that service is advertising mm -hmm. now. Uh, what pays for the service is advertising. Uh, and I think it might be possible for a blockchain technology to be pasted onto internet connections in such a way as to, to create a one-way linking internet. So that in fact we might have two internets working in parallel. We might have the um, uh, uh, traditional HTTP uh, internet where you know uh, it's the wild west and anybody links to anybody. You could have the HTTP um, HTT blockchain <laughs> internet where um, I know who links to me Okay, because right, of right. blockchain technology, and I can I can monitor that, and and I can uh, govern it, uh, so that I now have control not just over who I get information from, but who I give information to. Okay, right. right. Um, I, I'm not sure how that would work exactly, and I'm not even positive that blockchain is the right technology, but it has the right sound of it. Okay, so me. let let me let me give you my technologist yeah, view. Yeah, go ahead. That the the what you're really <clears throat> describing is you want a relationship built on top of the existing standards. We already have the mm -hmm. HTML standards. We have all the basic mm -hmm. protocols for communicating. But you'd like to build a protocol on top of that that allowed for the owner of the content to be more explicit about who gets access to the content. Period. Period. Exactly. That's the idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the way it works now has been largely that we have a subscription and if you want to get access, you sign up for this and you have to pay for everything. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we're going to give you one login and you're going to get access to everything. Yeah. Um, what it appears to me that <clears throat> one of the values we could bring is to be able to provide specific digital rights on a document basis. I'm sure none of this is uh, is too far away from something that's already been done and been done years ago. What's interesting is the dynamics of, for me anyway, the dynamics of the marketer and the customer. So at what point do we really decide that it's valuable for us enough? to implement technologies that create a more satisfactory relationship mm -hmm. to the customer. So, it's up to the customer. It's up to the consumer. You know, it's a voter issue. It's a, it's people have to decide. They that that and, and and think of it this way, Stuart, if if the if the blockchain technology is right like I think, if it's possible to do that, if some company does that and begins offering that, um, uh, let's say it's an open source thing. Right. Uh, that means there will be two internets that'll be parallel. Okay, one is the Wild West Internet where anybody can link to anybody and you got all sorts of uh, rumor mongering and, and, uh, um, uh, and a little more tunnel vision um, uh, there. Uh, and the other is the, um, you have to get my permission to link to me and which would be more authentic. Uh, the news would be a little authentic, a little more authentic. Right. There'd yeah. be journalistic standards around news sites and so forth. Uh, it would be uh, so a let's, different let's, kind of thing. Yeah, so let's yeah. go there because the, mm -hmm. that Wild West has led to some very negative con consequences. But also some very positive and progress. Very We've positive been made progress. tremendous progress. I don't want to minimize that. I don't, and I don't, sure. want, to, I don't sure. want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here either. Right, but at the same time, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned something to me earlier about these, uh, these sites that can 
just say whatever they want. I mean, mm-hmm. are they, why, can, why can they say whatever they want? I mean, they should be held to some standard, correct? Well, that leads me to a third idea okay. uh, for protecting privacy. Um, um, and, and that the third idea is you could use some form of government intervention to reinstill some market power in the play. I'm not saying that um, having the government regulate what you can do with information and not information uh, is the right thing to do. I think, as some wise person said, there's no problem so bad that the enlightened effort of a democratic elected government can't make it worse. Right. Uh, I think, on the whole, any 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 regulation is probably likely to do more damage than good, uh, except for certain kinds of regulations. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, um, in the 1990s, a court case determined that websites were not publishers. When you take other people's content on, then you just blog about it, so forth. It, you don't. It doesn't constitute. A, you're not a publisher. What that means is that you're not liable for libelous statements that people put on there. You're just repeating somebody else's statement, right? Um, uh, and, and that means that um, uh, any website can do anything they want. Uh, New York Times could not publish a terribly wrong uh, and knowingly wrong story, okay? But no, people put knowingly wrong stories on Facebook um, and Twitter. Uh, all the time. And Twitter all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, all the time. Don't even get me started there. Uh, so, so um, uh, if we if we simply uh, imposed a rule that from now on uh, any website that actually makes money by selling the data exhaust of its users, okay, any money any any website that 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 sells data of its on its users for for profit is fundamentally determined to be a publisher and now is liable for the stuff that goes online, okay, like any other publisher would be, uh, you'd have a tremendous uh, amount of discipline. with And, and you have a, lot, a big disincentive to even sell the information, okay? You'd have a big incentive to reconsider the paywall idea. You would you have know? to really go through and make sure the information you sold was accurate. Yes, right, right. And, and you see how, how much trouble that companies like Facebook and others get in even today. They, they, they have, there's so much information that goes on to those sites, it's almost impossible for them to sort it with, uh, God help us, they're going to have to use human filters to do this. They can't just do it with the AI. You know, it's tough. It's very tough. No, that's, that's uh, I, okay, so I really like... So that's, 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 one, that's, that's, okay. that's one way the government could... So uh, there's me, another me, way the government could... Let me give you another way right. the government could also um, uh, restore people's privacy protection rights. In the 1990s, cell phones were very uncompetitive. You couldn't switch one carrier to another because you had to give up your phone number. It was only when the U.S. Congress legislated number portability, and they did it in every major Western country, different legislatures did it, that suddenly mobile phones became competitive because... The government decreed that, no, no, phone companies, you do not own the phone number. Your customers own their own phone numbers. So when I change from Sprint to Verizon, okay, I can actually take my number with me now. Uh, and that's only been true since the mid-1990s when that law was passed. Uh, before then, there was no competition because no one would ever switch their phone number. Make the same rule with respect to your social graph. That should be your property. 
the people I'm connected with, the things I've interacted with, my friends and neighbors and what I've said and the videos I've posted, all part of my social graph, that should be my property. And when I leave Facebook and go to Facebook number two, competitive Facebook, I ought to be able to take it with me. And if I had social graph portability, then you'd have competitors. There wouldn't be just one giant Facebook and one giant Google, okay? There wouldn't be. You'd, you'd have competitors. So I actually really, really like that because it, it sets the tone of, comp of competition. Yeah. Right? It doesn't get into the micromanagement of an industry. Which right. Is, you know they're going to get wrong. And then, and then there'll be some companies that don't protect your privacy and give you everything for free. And there'll be some companies that say it costs $10 a month, but nobody gets advertising. Okay? Something like that. Yeah. You'll, you'll be free to choose. Right now, there's no choice. Well, exactly. So uh, there's several good options there for people to, you know, to advocate for solutions to the privacy issue. Yeah. And they don't just address the privacy issue, they address a whole bunch of other issues at the same time. Because one of the, again, going back to uh, email, mm -hmm. uh, emails and spam, I mean, email's really broken right now. There's so much cruft yeah. that comes yeah. in that yeah. it's changed the dynamics, so it's yeah. broken and made email yeah. more fragile. And 99% of email is spam. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that pushes us into IM situations. Yeah. Yeah. So instant messaging. Right. But instant right. messaging means our information is fragmented across multiple uh, isolated um, by, uh, you know, feudal lords who are yeah. watching over our, our data yeah. within yeah. Yeah. a certain thing. Like, you know, Facebook has its IM. And WhatsApp. Facebook WhatsApp, has WhatsApp. Telegram. The, you get yeah. lost in these, mm -hmm. in these situations and they're not interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's like um, there's an opportunity here and multiple opportunities to fix things at a market level. But I love that there are opportunities in the government side and the inter uh, intervention of government that don't require micromanagement. Exactly. Okay. They don't require, and, 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 and you can't game the system either by, you know, uh, you know what I mean? The problem is when you put down do it this way rules, okay, you should do this rules, um, that you create, every, for every rule you put up, you create two or three opportunities to circumvent in some man manner. And these aren't complex ideas. They're very simple ideas, uh, and, and they're structural. Uh, you know, what kind of network do, do we really want to have? Do we want to have one that's open and that, that, that promotes free speech and, and yet doesn't reward um, fake news and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and... Absolutely. Right? Echo chambers? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, as you mentioned in, in, your, in your book, um, these, the idea that tribes would emerge, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and we said, we called them image tribes. We, you know, we, and, and Martha and I were, we were really struck by... Um, uh, convention that Martha had gone to in 1992, it was a, uh, a, um, a knitting convention. Uh, and um, um, she talked to some people there, uh, did, did, you know, they're all there in this one local, I'm trying to remember the exact story, but they're all in this one locale. And she said, well, how did you guys know each other? Oh, we just met in a discussion group online. Uh, and that was when the internet was really only the internet. It wasn't the World Wide Web yet. It was the, you had you did have discussion groups and you know things like that, and we thought that that's really interesting and that's going to connect people of of common interests. Uh, um, but we also warned in our chapter on image tribes uh, that when people get together with people they they agree with all the time, uh, be careful because their views will get more extreme and more extreme. They'll be amplified. It'll be amplified, and we didn't use we didn't call we didn't call it echo chamber, but that's what we were talking about an echo, echo chamber. Right, right. 
Well, there are so many uh, ways that technology mm-hmm. burns on both sides. Yes. And, right. and cuts on both sides. And it's, I think, up to us. Uh, the, the, the purpose of, of me interviewing people mm-hmm. like yourself mm-hmm. is to find that durable edge of capitalism. And I wanted, it's not so much that there is a, a just an ecological sustainability, but there's an economic sustainability. I think there's also a social sustainability in all of I this. I agree. I agree, Stuart. And yeah. we need to be doing, we need to all take advantage of, you know, these opportunities we have to go in and start fixing things. We're not just moving fast and breaking things anymore. Nope. We need to move fast and fix things. Yep. And, yep. and that's, I... I would love to see more people doing that. And I'm an optimist. On the whole, I believe people will find the right solution. I just hope it takes a shorter time than it has so far. <laughs> yeah. And you have now, we're about finished here. And I want to really thank you so much for taking so much time with me on these interviews. It's been a, a blast to go delighted. into this space. Yes. I was delighted. Thank you, so Stuart. What Thanks is, very much. What is the thing that keeps you so optimistic? This is my last question for you. What's the thing that you are optimistic about and what makes you optimistic? I'm optimistic because the more connected we are, the more powerful the basic principle of reciprocity is. The principle of treating the customer the way you'd like to be treated if you were the customer, treating your employee the way you'd like to be treated if you were the employee, treating others the way you'd like to be treated. It's a a philosophical principle that underscores every major religion, Uh, but I think the more connected we are, the closer we're getting to being able to really hardwire that into our society. Does that make sense? I think so. I see it as when people believe in each other mm-hmm. and, and give each other a little bit of love and respect and honor, mm-hmm. that it comes back and it, and it builds on itself. And yes, we here, should here. have more situations. We should have more... Um, systems and uh, whatever it takes to get to that place. Yeah, so go out and find some more people to interview. I will, I promise. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Stuart.